0: sports radio 1043 the fan
1: every saturday morning it's terry wickstrom outdoors terry takes you inside the outdoors you know hunting fishing camping it's terry wickstrom outdoors now here's terry Good morning, this is Terry Wickstrom, and we have got a fully loaded show for you today. Sitting in studio with me is Brad Peterson. Good morning, Brad. Good morning, Terry. That might indicate we're going to talk some fishing, although Brad's an avid outdoorsman in all aspects, does a lot of hunting too, so you never know where this might take us. It could go anywhere, but I tell you what, this is the time of year to be out and do some fishing. I know we're going to talk, you and I are going to talk some fishing. I know that, uh, fortunately, Nate Zelensky's not calling in. I mean, unfortunately, Nate's not calling in. But one of his guys is uh, Matt Ensley, and we'll talk some fishing. And, of course, Nate and I talked fishing last week, and I know we're going to touch on it. And if you folks read my article in the Denver Post, it came out this week. This is what we call the summer peak, and your experience within fishermen, you know exactly what that means. We'll tell people in just a minute. Oh, yeah. It's it's the time to be on the water. You know, Mark Cousins is going to join us with Colorado Clays uh, later. And Mark and I, well, we're not going to get into it too much this week. We're going to talk about staying ready for hunting. Too many people get ready about a week before they go, but they don't stay ready as far as your shooting skills. We're going to talk about that. But one thing I want to do in some weeks coming up too, before we get too much into the season, is a lot of people, even avid hunters, put a lot of time into learning, getting ready to hunt, but they don't get ready in case something goes sideways and they get in trouble. And we're going to talk about that in the coming weeks, but not today. Uh, we're going to, we just have a, uh, we're going to be joined by Troy Linder. That's Al's son, right? Yep. Uh, Although folks that don't know Al Linder, uh, founder of In Fisherman magazine. Him and his brother Ron. I wrote for them for years.
2: Yep, um Brad, creator, creator of the Lindy Rig.
1: Yep. And 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 Brad actually worked for them. A camp fish and that's making a comeback, and it's a place to go get educated where you can even catch a fish during your life if you go there. I think. Uh I sure hope you catch
2: more than just a fish.
1: Yeah, and we're going to talk about that. So we got a lot to cover. Um, we kind of led into it. Um We'll have an ask the expert question too, by the way, later. And I want to tell you folks. I'm not getting as many Ask the Expert questions as I want. We're getting them, but we should be getting flooded. You get a chance for a $25 gift card from Sportsman's Warehouse just for sending it in. All you do is send your outdoor question to terrywickstromoutdoors at gmail.com. It's hunting, fishing, camping, anything outdoors and if we choose to answer that question on the air, you get a $25 gift card mailed to you. I mean, it's that easy, and it really helps with programming. In fact, we're going to have one later on today. But, you know, Brad, I can't answer every question on the air. But if we get five or six of the same ones, we probably know we should cover that on the show somewhere. Yeah, I mean, it's a great way to
2: get, you know, additional information, like you say, to to steer your programming in a in a way to know that, you know, maybe there's some more interest in today, I see it's a, it's about, you know, tying your own flies and trying that. Or maybe someone's really interested in pan fishing, something that doesn't maybe get covered as often. But, you know, it's great to have that knowledge that, you know, let's cover a little bit of that because that's that's where uh, people have interest and in, in a great way to help the public.
1: All right. But let's talk about what's going on right now. This first segment, I just want you and I to talk fishing uh, you're an avid tournament fisherman. You fish walleye tournaments all over North America. Uh, by the way, a little more about Brad. I mentioned he worked for Camp Fish and Fisherman's Camp Fish, um, as an instructor counselor at the camp. He's an avid tournament fisherman, also an excellent waterfall hunter, and for a long time rode, uh, um, ran an extensive youth outdoor organization. So, and you're, I think you even have a fisheries biology degree.
2: Yes, I do. Uh I I made it through the 4 years of doing that. Thank goodness for some uh, independent study credits while I was out tournament fishing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and you overcame that to learn how to catch fish too. I was teach the biologist I was teased the biologists that you know, knowing the science and the biology is good, but sometimes it almost gets confusing. <laughs> there are a lot of biologists that have
2: trouble catching fish. And thank goodness in this state we're blessed with the, a lot of biologists who actually are are good anglers and understand, you know, how to go out and catch fish, enjoy the resource, and they're looking out for the best for all of the anglers out there.
1: Oh, we have some great guys here. I mean, I talk to them all the time, Ben Swiggle and Paul Winkle and just the guys around. They're just, they're true avid outdoor people who are passionate about their fisheries. And I'll tell you what, that passion, the way they manage these fisheries, is showing up on Colorado's lakes right now for the walleyes, isn't it?
2: Oh, it absolutely is, and we are in a really good situation because the last three or four years we haven't had a real drought situation that's drawn down our reservoirs bad, particularly out on the eastern plains. So those eastern plains reservoirs have had a lot of years to get a really diverse population in, in a, a good older age class along with you know all the way down to some of the smaller fish, and those lakes right now are just fishing phenomenally.
1: Oh, you're right. Now, I wrote, I I teased it a little bit that my article in the Denver Post was about this time of the year, and you know very well coming from Camp Fish that we used to divide the year into calendar periods, and those calendar periods weren't the same depending on where you lived in the country, and one of them would be like the spawn for a certain species. You did the calendar period by species, not by just body of water, and so the walleyes would spawn at a certain time. And then there would be, you know, the time getting into the winter and their summer patterns. But one spot on that calendar you had to mark, and that's what we call the summer peak. And that's usually, it's usually about a two to three week period when the water gets into that 70 degree range. And the warm water species metabolism is just, I'm talking like a biologist. (laughs) Their warm water species, their metabolism gets going and they're really eating. Yet the bait fish haven't spawned yet. And so you take those male walleyes in these Colorado lakes, those 20-inch and under, and the, specifically those 14- to 18-inch fish, and they're they're very aggressive anyway. And then you make them hungry and don't give them anything to eat. And the result is exactly what you said, 100 fish days. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's the perfect combination. It's the
2: perfect storm. And that's exactly right. You know, our, our shad have spawned, you know, maybe have got off their first spawn, but those Those fry are just so small that the fish aren't feeding on them yet. Give them another two, three weeks and those fry are going to, you know, start to be fingerlings and start to be half to an inch long. And now all of a sudden the fish are going to have a lot more food to choose from. But right now these fish, the metabolism's at the peak for the year. We have the most fish we're going to have because they haven't been harvested out at, you know, as they will at the end of the year. And they don't have a whole lot of food. So it's a great opportunity to be out there and catch fish in a wide variety of ways because the fish are spread out from the shallows all the way to the deep. So if you want to cast jigs to the shoreline, you can catch fish. If you want to pull a bottom bouncer and spinners out deep or, or pull crankbaits, Whatever you want to do, you can go out and catch fish right now.
1: Well, you don't necessarily have to understand what they're feeding on because they're hungry enough to be opportunistic right now. So, And the reason they're spread out is some of them are finding some shad. Some of them are chasing minnows. Some of them are eating crawfish. Some are eating mayfly hatches.
2: Exactly. They're, they're eating a little bit of everything right now.
1: Yeah, exactly. So that's why. And they're aware of everything right now because they just want a meal. You were out at Sterling recently. Tell people what that was like. I tell you what, Sterling, you know, a lot of
2: us were concerned about three, four years ago, there was a summer kill out there and people were concerned that the the lake really was going to take a a nosedive. And that could be anything but the truth. The funny thing was, the thing that really got hurt was the wipers, which is, is bad, but the carp and the shad were the ones that took the biggest population decline. And that's not bad for the game fish that we're looking at. The walleyes out there, 100 fish days were fairly common, and you could do it any way you wanted to. There were guys out pulling live bait a little deeper. The best pattern we found was up shallow, pitching jigs, find a mud line, uh, jigs and plastics or jigs and live bait. You know Charlie Black, and we were out casting jigs, and, and Charlie's my tournament partner, and he's... He said, uh, well, I'm going to drop a jig down with a nightcrawler and see if we can, you know, just entice an extra bite while we're casting our jigs. Well, Charlie went and put the nightcrawler down, and he couldn't get it into the rod holder without having a bite for 45 minutes. He didn't get to fish his other rod because the bite was that fast, just dropping a an eighth-ounce jig head with a nightcrawler over the side of the boat.
1: Oh, and you're absolutely right. And, you know, we're talking about this is going on for walleyes right now. Some lakes, it's also going on for smallmouth, but they're they're coming off the spawn, even largemouth a little bit, and certainly where there are wipers and white bass. But I want to concentrate on the walleyes a little bit. And you talked about the different techniques. Not only can you catch a lot of fish, and we'll mention some of the other lakes that's going on. Sterling is one example. But this is a time to go out and perfect and Gain confidence in techniques you don't normally use.
2: Oh, it's the perfect time to do it. If you're not used to fishing jigs and plastics or casting crankbaits, it's a great time to be out there doing it. You're going to get bit, and you're going to build up that confidence. You know, Al Lindner always used to say, it takes catching about 40 fish on a presentation before you really feel comfortable and understand what it is. This is the time of year that you can catch those 40 fish in a day. Well. And we were, you know, trying some new plastics, new techniques, other things, just to to build a little confidence
1: up. Well, and yeah, it's just people tend to try new presentations when the fishing is tough. They're not catching something with something they have confidence in. So they, I've never done this, but I heard it works. I'm going to try this. Well, maybe you hit it right away, but most of the time, first of all, you don't fish it very long because you don't have confidence in it. You don't understand the nuances until you really work it, getting in air time when you get some fish. You don't, you know, is there a cadence? Is there a change of cadence? Just little things like little nuances that you do that you do when you have confidence and you keep the lure. So it's a great time. It's just a, an incredible, incredible time to do that. The one caveat i want to put on this before we move on too though is this is not a big fish time of the year this is a numbers game now if you go to the lakes like this is going on at pueblo cherry creek and chatfield too but you have an 18 inch limit there and there's still 18 inch fish out there because you like you said they haven't been harvested down these aggressive males there's big females on all these lakes that are probably over 15 pounds but there's the the ones that are aggressive right now. So you're not going to catch a ton of keepers, but you're going to have action. It's just steady. And if you go to the lakes like Boyd, Sterling, Jackson, where it's a 15-inch limit, you very easily could take a nice mess of fish home to have a few for the pan too.
2: Oh, yeah. You know, I fished Jackson about three weeks ago. The bite there was phenomenal. And uh, like I said, this last week at it, it, Sterling was great. Lots of 16 to 18, 18-and-a-half-inch 18 fish. Really healthy fish, and those are perfect for eating. You know, they're great for filleting up, frying up, however you want to bake them, however you want to fix them, but it is the perfect time to go out there. And the other thing going on at at Sterling as well is there's a good crappie bite going on. So don't overlook that. I mean, we got some crappies over 14
1: inches. You know, the other thing I want to tell people this time of the year now I said the bass and the wipers and the white bass, and those are also going to take advantage of this, but to a different extent. But uh I, like at Boyd, I know there are bass fishermen up there catching a ton of walleyes in like two feet of water because they are everywhere. But, but the one thing I want to just really stress too, it's not a big fish time, but also if you're not catching fish over the next couple of weeks, I mean this should go on for a couple more weeks yet, if you're on one of these lakes we mentioned, one of these shad-based lakes, and I would say, I would say Boyd, even Lone Tree, um, Cherry Creek, Chatfield, Pueblo, those are some of the prime, all the eastern lakes and the southeastern lakes too, like John Martin and those lakes. If you're not catching fish, change, either change location or change depth. You don't necessarily even have to maybe change the presentation, but certainly change depth or, or location and then if that doesn't work change your presentation because they're eating they're there yeah if
2: you're around fish they're going to be eating right now and that's that's exactly right terry i would suggest that they change location or depth like you say you know if you're fishing a point maybe you've been fishing eight feet or less maybe you drop down and fish that 15 to 10 foot range and maybe the fish have moved out just a little bit deeper maybe it's a clear day with not much wind but um Definitely, if you don't get a bite within 20 minutes on a location, you need to be moving, do something to change, because when you find those fish, you're going to be going through, if you're using live bait, five, ten dozen night crawlers isn't unheard of this time of year.
1: No. We're going to take a break here in a second. We're going to change things up. We're going to talk about how the um, Parks and Wildlife works to maintain our flows in our rivers. Um, Compared to what happened years ago to maintain the habitat. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by the great folks at the Honey Smoked Fish Company. Their Honey Smoked Salmon is unbelievable. The secret is in the fire. Sure, I'm already over on time, and you play the Eagles like I'm not going to listen, right? I'm already running late, and you know I'm going to listen to a few bars of this song. What? Yeah. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. And now I want to go right to the phones because joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Lori Martin. And we're going to talk about an incredible tournament coming up at Elkhead Reservoir. Good morning, Lori.
3: Good morning, Terry. Thanks
1: for having me. Oh, you're glad to have you on. This is a great event. You had something similar last year, changed a little bit. Let's set the background first, I think, for this. Uh, now we don't have to dwell on a lot why we're doing that. The Endangered Species Act is kind of making you change some management practices over on the West Slope so you really need to reduce the pike and smallmouth bass in some of these lakes and before the warm water fishermen just totally panic um you're going to be supplementing those with other warm water species that don't that don't put as much pressure on the endangered species species like largemouth bass and crappies is that right
3: yes that's correct
1: and so in a, so in order to help facilitate this and let a bunch of anglers get out and just have a good time. You guys came up with a tournament. Tell me about it.
3: We did, yes. Last year was the first time we had the Elkhead Reservoir Fishing Classic. And uh, so this will be the second year that we'll be hosting the event. It will occur on uh, start, actually, a week from this Saturday, June 24th through July 2nd. And it's really an opportunity for folks to come out and visit our state park and enjoy some great fishing opportunities, uh, particularly for smallmouth bass and northern pike. Uh, There are no entry fees required, and we will be giving away $4,500 in cash and about that same amount also in additional prizes uh, that will be awarded daily.
1: Now, you do have to have a parks pass to get in and a fishing license, of course. But other than that, it's just like another day fishing, except you get a chance to make a bunch of money. By the way, I have Brad Peterson in studio with me. He's packing up. He heard about the prize money. He's headed towards Elkhorn. It's next week, Brad.
2: Well, any tournament that doesn't have an entry fee and is still paying out, that sounds like a good deal to me.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Brad is a, a seasoned tournament fisherman. But, you know, there's a dual purpose here, obviously, Lori. We want to get people out fishing. We want to have them experience it and smallmouth bass and pike tend to be cooperative fish that aren't that can be um readily caught you know at times any fish can be difficult at times but at the same time we want to reduce these populations but tell me how do i win money if i come there it starts saturday do i can i just fish one day can i fish every day can i fish two days what's it tell me how it works and how i enter
3: okay so this is how it works you can fish uh any day you'd like between that time frame and uh, what we're asking folks to do is to register at our uh, fish scanning station at the reservoir. There's no pre-registration required. Um, and how it will work is when anglers bring in northern pike or smallmouth bass to the station, then we will provide them an angler ticket for every one of those pike um and smallmouth bass that they bring in and the anglers can keep those fish or if they decide that they would prefer um not to then they can donate those particular species to us and we will complete different research uh with them such as uh measuring the length and the weight of the fish uh looking for tags and interestingly enough the tag portion is an opportunity to, to uh Get you even more dollars. Our biologist Tori Iyer is going to be tagging two fish, one northern pike and one smallmouth bass, immediately ahead of the tournament with an internal tag. The only way to tell if your fish has a tag is to bring it to the CPW fish scanning station and, and we'll uh, scan those fish. It's, it's similar to the tags that folks put in pets um, in case they get lost. So it's a tag. It has a unique number. We'll be scanning fish, every fish that's brought in, to see if they have that tag. And if an angler happens to bring in the 2017 tag smallmouth bass or northern pike, then they win $1,500 for uh, the smallmouth and also $1,500 for the northern pike. If, by the end of the tournament, neither one of those fish are caught. You'll recall that I mentioned that we're giving anglers tickets for every smallmouth bass and northern pike that they bring in. All of those tickets will be in a drawing. And at the end of the tournament, which will be Sunday, uh, July 2nd at 3 o'clock, if neither of those fish are caught, we will be drawing from uh, all of the anglers' tickets to give away both of those $1,500 awards.
1: Wow. So. Oh, go ahead. No. And so, so do you have to be present to win?
3: You do not have to be present to win.
1: So you could come fish the weekend before or during the week and possibly win fifteen hundred. I mean, uh, win the fifteen hundred in a drawing if it wasn't if that fish wasn't caught. What was the prize for the most uh, smallmouth or the most pike? I don't know if I heard that.
3: Yes, so there's also an opportunity uh, to turn in the most northern pike across the tournament. That's $750. And uh, if you turn in the most smallmouth bass across the entire, entire tournament, you'll also uh, receive $750. Now, if,
1: so, I'm ra- if I'm right, you don't have to turn them all in on one day either. You could fish two or three days and turn in every day, right?
3: You can fish. We ask that you turn in the fish uh, as you catch them. Uh, but if you're out fishing late in the day and can bring them in the next day, then we can we can track them that way.
1: Well, what I meant uh, more was though that I could go and participate more than one day, and you would add my total.
3: Oh yes, that's how it will. how that's how it will work across the nine day tournament. And then we're also doing daily prizes. Uh, for both species, there will be a total of six prizes given away each day, uh, one for the smallest northern pike and smallest smallmouth bass, the largest of each of those fish caught that day, and the most of those species caught per day.
1: Wow, Lori, we're out of town time. Is there a website where people can go and get more information on this? You
3: bet. You can go to our uh, CPW website, which is CPW dot state dot co dot us
1: and it sounds like just a great event we'll try to keep plugging it during the show because i think if people want are looking for something to do those weekends what a chance to get out have some fun catch some fish make a little money and just have a great family outing and enjoy the park
3: oh definitely we're looking forward to having a great turnout and encouraging folks to get out and enjoy the great outdoors
1: all right thank you so much lori Thank you. You bet. That's uh, Lori from Parks and Wildlife. We're going to go right back to the phones now. And joining us from Adventure Camper is Ray Reeves. Good morning, Ray. Hi,
0: Terry. How are you doing today?
1: Well, I'm doing well. And I think Brad Peterson in the studio with me is going to come over and get a camper from you, and head over to Elkhead Reservoir and see if you can catch those fish and make some money.
0: Well, yeah. I was just going to say that sounds like a good way to earn a down payment for a new camper to me. Yeah,
1: doesn't it sound? I mean, and you know, Ray, before we get into talking about some of the things you want to cover today, obviously we talk about your RVs, but 42 parks in Colorado that – and there's only a couple that are just day use. Almost all of them have camping facilities. Even if you don't take long trips, having your – your camper set up, being able to go right here. And you can go from prairies, like Brad was talking about, fishing Sterling Reservoir, which is on fire in our first segment, to out to Elkhead Reservoir and so many other places. If you live in this state, you're going to get enough use out of it if you never leave the state, right?
0: Yeah, that's right. And, boy, you just said it. I'm a huge fan of the Colorado State Park System. I think they generally have great campgrounds. Really nice, and, and yeah, it's a a wonderful benefit for all of us Colorado citizens.
1: Now, I know you're going to talk about a sale you've got going on some of your bigger units, but before you got there, it kind of made me think, on the bigger units, uh, especially, well, on all units, but when people come to buy a trailer, a, a camping trailer, you really have to be aware of your vehicle. I know there's lightweight ones you have that you can pull with very small vehicles, actually, but if you get into the bigger ones like we're going to talk about today, you have to have the right vehicle, don't you?
0: Yeah, that's true. You know, when when somebody comes to us, uh, rather than just you know walk the customer through the lot and show them everything that we have, we start by asking a lot of questions to make sure that we're we're giving the customer a trailer that not only suits their needs, uh, fits their budget, but is safe to tow with. And and so that's exactly right. Uh, figuring out what kind of a tow vehicle, uh, weight towing capacity you've got is critical to the, to properly selecting a camper. And we of course help the customer with that.
1: Well, and, and I think what you hit on, is not only being able to tow it, but safely tow it because you'll run into control issues, breakdown issues. There's so much can happen. And you guys are experts because if I'm not mistaken, don't you even rent tow vehicles with your rentals? We do.
0: Yeah, we do. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, that, that's one of the first questions we ask a, a customer when they walk in is what kind of a towing vehicle do you have? What what can you safely tow with that vehicle? We we want to make sure that, obviously, we send the customer out and get them back safe. That's the whole point.
1: Well, speaking of those vehicles and renting or buying, I know you both rent and you sell, but you've got a sale going on in some big units. Tell us about that.
0: Well, big and small. So we, we carry uh, some larger units from Sonoma uh, that are just absolutely gorgeous top of the end units. Uh, we've got them with bunk beds. So if you've got a, a family or we've got couples coaches for just you and the missus, that kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, we're we're getting our uh, closeout out of summer inventory sold off. So we've got some good deals left on those. We also have the Real Light line, which is off-road campers. They have lifted suspension and off-road tires, Uh, some of your fishing and hunting customers may really enjoy those, and we can help them with that as well.
1: All right, Ray, how do they find you?
0: Uh, Our website is adventurecamper.com. We're located near Araujo Road and Jordan Road, and, of course, they can call us at 303-680-3670.
1: Ray, thanks a lot. I may try to stop by this afternoon. I want to walk the facility and kind of see what you got. Be good to see you, Terry. Thank Uh, you. All right. Thanks, Ray. That's Ray from Adventure Campers. Great people. Hey, remember, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by the great folks at Sun Motorsports. They are Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier outfitter. We're going to go right to the phones. And uh, joining us, we're going to talk about, we're going to change things up. We're going to talk about something totally different. We're going to talk to Jay Skinner from Parks and Wildlife. Good morning, Jay. Morning, Terry. You know, uh, what you want to talk about is a program that I'll bet that the majority of anglers in this state doesn't even know exists. And that's to, uh, the the flow in the river, the program you have to control flows in our rivers for the sake of recreation and habitat for animals. In fact, if you went back a few decades, that habitat and those fish were really at the mercy of the water providers. I mean, those rivers would actually run dry a lot, wouldn't they?
4: Uh, That's Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Um, I've uh, worked on various aspects of water resource management for uh, parks and wildlife for about 30 years and a, a lot of that time I've spent on uh, on this program that we're talking about which is uh called the instream flow program and uh it's a it's a program by which uh the state can secure water rights uh for flows in creeks and rivers and levels on natural lakes um that are held um in the name of the people, uh, to preserve the natural environment. And, uh, as you mentioned, you know, prior to the mid 1970s, um, the rivers didn't have a voice in the water all- allocation system. So, uh, you yeah, know, we saw a lot of streams that ran dry and, uh, uh, you know, and aquatic resources obviously suffer when, uh, you don't have flow there every day. So, um you know a, a lot of uh, a lot of these things were addressed uh in the state water rights system by the creation of this in-stream flow program
1: now this wasn't an easy program to accomplish um because water rights are very complicated issues in the west and there's senior water rights and there's use rights and even if you can get a hold of water rights sometimes depending on what your use is and how senior they are they um they, they can be difficult to attain did you have to solicit the use of a, or the uh, you know a number of partners to help you with this
4: well initially um the old division of wildlife was the major entity that was doing this quantification work for those initial water rights. And we started on, you know, little headwater streams, little brook trout streams up in the Rocky Mountains because uh, they were the easiest to do. They were kind of the low hanging fruit. Um, And, um, and over time, we've sort of moved downstream into uh, larger rivers where there's obviously a little more conflict and a little more, uh, existing water uses there. Uh, but also what comes along with moving downstream is, you know, a little more scientific rigor in, uh, in doing the quantification because, uh, all of this happens in a legal and administrative environment. So, you know, you gotta kind of build your case with evidence.
1: Now, this is, you know, the, keeping flows in these streams and maintaining riparian habitat and streamside vegetation and, and just flows for the fish population, it isn't only for anglers that benefit from this, but uh, the entire ecosystem benefits from this, right? Oh,
4: absolutely. I mean, uh, the the statute is very general in the way that it is written. It just says to preserve the natural environment. So we as scientists go out and quantify and document the natural environment and that can be fish, amphibians, riparian vegetation, you know, all of those sorts of things um to fit under that that uh, term, natural environment, and then we make the linkage between those environmental values to a flow in the river uh, to maintain those those resource values.
1: Now, this is an incredibly important uh, uh, work. This is incredibly important work to all the outdoor people in Colorado. Can you kind of give us an update as to how much success you've had, what, how much work is to be done, and maybe an example or two?
4: okay sure um so like i said we started this work uh back in the mid 1970s and since then we've secured water rights on about 1600 segments of uh, rivers and creeks in colorado uh, just short of 9200 miles of stream uh, and also 485 natural lakes in colorado Um, and to give that some perspective uh, in Colorado, there's about 39,000 miles of perennial stream. So, uh, you know, if you're looking at how how close we are to being, quote, done here, um, you know, we have 9,200 miles of that 39,000.
1: Um, um, and Mother so, Nature is going to take some control of some of this, too, that we won't be able to handle.
4: Oh, absolutely. So, um, you know, we kind of count on the fact that Mother Nature is going to provide the water. This just provides a mechanism by which we can protect that water in the stream from, say, new water uses that might be coming on the stream uh, after the time at, w- at which the the state arrives and gets their water right.
1: Now, are there a couple of just gems that you can point to and say, boy, I'm so glad we got this done because it has really made a difference?
4: Yeah, there's a couple of really good examples. Um, you know, this this instream flow water right has really become a part of the water landscape if you will um uh, but as you said in the lead in here it's really not very well known to the public and there's increasing awareness uh through the adoption of the state's first water plan and reliance upon this uh this program to provide regulatory certainty with water users uh, who might be building new water projects. Uh, so with that as a backdrop, let me talk about a couple of examples. Um, and most recently, um, uh, you know, we've done some exciting work down into in the southwest corner of the state. Um, like I said, our early work was on trout streams. Well, we recently uh, secured water rights on the San Miguel River, and on the dolores river and those uh two are cool water warm water streams so there there's obviously no trout there but uh there's a a trio of species um uh, down in that part of the state that are kind of in trouble. They're not listed under the Endangered Species Act, but you know, we kind of know that they're in trouble, uh, throughout their, their historic range. So these water rights on the San Miguel and Dolores are protecting those species in Colorado and thus also protecting uh you know providing that regulatory certainty so that we don't have a federal listing of those species under the Endangered Species Act. Um, so that's kind of an exciting example. Um, another really good example would be uh work that we did years ago relating to water uses at uh ski areas. Uh obviously ski areas are taking water out of the stream to make snow. Um, during the fall and the winter when stream flows are naturally at their lowest. So obviously the fish are are competing for a very limited resource at that point in time. And so since these ski areas were mainly on federal land or relying on federal water to replace their diversions, uh, we got to play in that game and set some some standards, if you will, uh, that, that maintain a flow in the, in the creeks and rivers that the ski areas were taking snow making water. So, you know, there's, there's a, a, a real life, uh, example of where uh, if left uh, to its own devices, the water allocation system in Colorado would have allowed those ski areas to possibly dry up those streams. But since we had a state held in stream flow water right there, we were able to, um, uh, utilize the permitting process to, uh, maintain these sort of minimum standards
1: ray we're running out of time but 30 seconds is anything the public can do to help or is it just good to keep them aware
4: well, it's, it's always good to keep aware. Uh, there's nine basin roundtables around the state, uh, that offer citizen engagement. Uh, we're constantly working with groups like Trout Unlimited and water user groups and land trusts, water trusts and those sorts of things around the state. Uh, so we have a lot of partners
1: out there, uh, that are engaged. All right, Ray, thank you so much. Great program, so important to all of us. I'm glad we get the word about the work that Parks and Wildlife is doing on this because it's such an important aspect of the outdoor recreation here in Colorado.
4: You bet. Thanks for the for, thanks for the opportunity.
1: You bet. That's Ray from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. We're going to take a quick time out. and we come back, we're going to have our Ask the Expert question. Terry Wicks from Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier outfitter. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoke Fish Company's Honey Smoke Salmon. The secret is in the fire. It is time for our Ask the Expert question. Okay. And what we do on the Ask the Expert question is you send a question to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Gmail. It can be fishing, hunting, camping, anything outdoors. If we choose to answer that question on the air, You get a $25 gift card from Sportsman's Warehouse just for sending it in. So we want you to send your questions in, okay? Today's question is from Mark Schreiber, and I'm going to preempt this question a little bit because I know the Schreiber family. Um, He's asking this question for his daughter, Abby, and Abby is the young lady I wrote the article in the Denver Post about the leukemia for. So this is a personal question to me, Brad, really hits home. Uh, The the way he, uh, he writes the questions from Abby, it goes, I tie my own flies and I'd like to test them. Where can I go in Fort Collins for fish that I can keep? That are good to eat. That's from her dad because he loves to cook fish. And I would I would need to fish from shore. I also know that Abby currently fishes with a fly in a bubble. She may get into true fly fishing pretty soon. So I'm glad I got you here, Brad, because you fish that northern area living up there just like I do. And I thought we could talk a little bit about both the lakes, ponds, and even streams in that area where... Abby can go with her flying bubble and maybe catch some maybe some stalker trout to take home or maybe some panfish. What recommendations do you have?
2: Well, I tell you what, Terry, this is this is a question that's near and dear to my heart as well because when I was working up at Camp Fish, I I taught the classroom and taught fly tying, and I still think the best way to test flies or to introduce people to fly fishing is through panfish, and the Fort Collins area is just loaded with plenty of small ponds that you're going to be able to get to access from the shore with lots of panfish, bass, a few of them get stocked with trout. You know, City Park, a great opportunity right there that has a good fishing. Riverbend ponds, even if you want to go up to Horsetooth. Horsetooth has some monster trout up there, and the smallmouth are up shallow. All those are going to be great opportunities from shore, particularly as we, as we talked earlier, right now summer peak. So the shoreline fishing is going to be really good as it gets longer and later in the year some of these ponds are going to get mossed up so you may have to be a little more selective but i think that's that's the best opportunity for her to test out some of those flies and you're going to catch some fish that are going to be pretty good uh, table fare as well
1: one or two that would be your favorites in the area
2: well you know i love boyd down there the inlet area of boyd would be great horse tooth and then i think the river bend ponds right off prospect there there's a diverse set of ponds there that all have good panfish in them
1: well and another group of ponds i want to talk about and i'm going to struggle for their names there are some ponds in loveland and if you took um they're on they're on first street Uh, and if you if you took uh you went down what is shields in in um, fort collins and drove into loveland until you got to first street and take a left they're right by the river and I think the River's Edge Ponds is the name of them. They used to know name. names, five of them. They're ones that I did a Denver post. I, um, I didn't do a Denver post. I did a Facebook post on those where Karen and I went because I, I had used those for an Ask the Expert question on where to take youth fishing. And so I told Karen, I said, we should go check those out. And of course she commenced to catch a bunch of 14 inch crappies from the shore. Yeah. I, I have fished those as well and
2: they are phenomenal ponds right in that area too
1: and they they stock those two of them are stocked with trout too and so that would give you a chance to fish both panfish and trout now the other thing i would recommend because she's time flies and i think panfish i agree with you are the best way to get started but if she wants to catch some trout i would go to the um parks and wildlife in fact Again, my Facebook page, Terry Wicks from Outdoors, we put a link to the fishing report, which will take you to the stocking report. I would look for what's been stocked within the last two, three weeks with trout, um, what the ponds in the area or nearby in the area, and head up. And the last thing I would say, and, and the, I know that they're aware of this place, if you want to drive, head up to Joe Wright.
2: That, that's phenomenal. And you know another one, Terry, and we've talked about it several times when I've been on the show with you, that gets stocked with trout isn't too far Blond Hagler. Yeah. Blond Hagler's a great shore fishing opportunity, a small body of water that has plenty of trout in it.
1: All right. For sending that question in, Mark Shriver, sending it in for his daughter, Abby. So, Mark, this... this, Gift card better go to Abby, not to you. And this is uh, to his daughter Abby and this family. I know this family personally and this, they're very deserving of this. Fantastic. So you can, uh, they're going to get a $25 gift card from Sportsman's Warehouse. Now, if you want to get a $25 gift card from Sportsman's Warehouse, you don't have to know me personally. Just send your question to Terry Wish from Outdoors on gmail.com. Fishing, hunting, camping, anything outdoors. If we answer your question on the air, just for sending it in. You get a $25 gift card from Sportsman's Warehouse. And, Brad, you know that if you're asking an outdoor question, there'll be something to buy there, right?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, there's always something that you're looking for, and Sportsman's Warehouse is a great spot to look to pick it up.
1: All right. Terry Wilkstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Fish Company's Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire.